this just feels different. This feels to me what it must have felt like back in you know, World War II era where countries just rolled over their borders and tried to occupy other countries. It, it's just, it just felt different and weird. Hello and welcome to The Interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, your host and the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. Joining me this week is CNN anchor John Berman. John is one of my favorite anchors on television. He is a veteran journalist on top of being one of the funniest and sharpest people in media. John was recently named one of the anchors on CNN News Central, which is a new three-hour program on the network. You may have seen it. It involves CNN anchors out of their chairs, walking around a studio, talking to people in giant screen boxes. He is anchoring that show alongside Sarah Seidner and Kate Baldwin, a former guest of this podcast. I called up John this week to discuss his new show, the changes at CNN, everything else that's going on in the cable news industry, CNN's own town hall with Donald Trump from last week, which has caused uh, a bit of an uproar, and much, much more. Most importantly, he's one of my favorite hosts on television. He is sharp and funny, and I really like watching him. So John Berman, thank you, and welcome to the interview. How are you doing? Uh, that's I'm great. That was a fantastic introduction. Now I feel like I can't possibly live up to that. Well, I, it's to lull you into a false sense of security. So that's, I, I, hope, I hope that achieved its it. Goal. It worked. It totally worked. First off, congrats to the Celtics and yourself on all of your success. It has been a difficult first couple of series. Um, I will say that if they play like they did in Game 7, they could go all the way. If they play like they did in every single other game, pretty much, it's going to be harrowing for the rest of the playoffs. <laughs> If I recall correctly, the last time we spoke was at Mediaite's holiday party a few years ago, and, and the topic was the Premier League. Yes. Are, am I safe in calling you a, a footy fan in addition to a baseball, basketball, the works fan? I am a huge soccer fan. It's been a really weird year in soccer. Mm. Um, I felt like I gave everything I had to the World Cup, um, and after the World Cup, a few right. things after the World Cup sort of blew up my overall soccer season, my, my 22, 23 soccer season one grant wall passing away was just like a gut punch. Um, mm. because, uh, I knew him a little, he was a wonderful guy, but I also, I uh, took in soccer through him, like through his eyes. It was through his podcast or everything he wrote that I really understood everything. And then when he was gone in the world cup was over, I just felt a little emptier. And then all the American players, what I really love in all the uh, international leagues is to watch the American players. The American players have actually had a really lousy 2023 um, mm. between Chris and Pulisic and then, and, then, and then the guys on Leeds, Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney. Leeds has been suffering. It, it's just been a tough season to be an American, a fan of American players overseas after the World Cup, which I was totally satisfied. I feel like it was a good World Cup for the United States. It, it was, was a great, great World, World Cup. Cup for everything. Right. But then, it, then I, I've had a tough few months where I've had a hard time connecting. Do you have a specific team in the in the Prem? Or you know, it's really U.S. players. Wherever the U.S. Right. players are, that's 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 Got the team it. I root for. So it was Chelsea. It, it, but now I despise Chelsea because they're not playing my guy. Uh, and right. so, and then I like Leeds, but Leeds has just been so frustrating. Fulham is is the the team that's brought me the most joy this season. Next World Cup will be in the United States. I, I hope you can uh, maybe maybe get some sort of CNN studio in the box at one of those stadiums. Oh, I think I, look, I think field on the field, like, you know, but yeah, totally. Right. Why limit it to the box? <laughs> so 
there's some congrats in order. You were named as one of the anchors on this new CNN show, CNN News Central, uh, alongside uh, Sarah and Kate Baldwin, who uh, was actually a guest on this show recently. Tell us about the show and how it's been going so far. I think it's a really interesting concept. I think the show's been going really well. Um, I think the audience has responded well. I think it's been a blast to do. I mean, the idea of the show is, first of all, to have it be incredibly present and in the moment. Um, to have it incredibly visual with the, the video walls all around us. It, it, three 360s. I mean, really, is a true 360-degree studio where we, at different times, are on every wall of the studio, which is super fun. Um, and there's just a ton of movement. And it's very active. I leave, I leave every day with, with a kind of a smile on my face because it's, it's, it's a fun three hours to do. They're incredibly fun people to do it with. You know, my backstage, like the way I like to say it, I'm probably revealing too much here. Kate's got a little workstation backstage. She's got like a one-room single if you're talking about a college dorm. She's got a single but, Got it. but Sarah and I share sort of a one-room double. We're on this little desk where we're crammed in next to each other, but it's sort of hilarious. So we're sort of walking back and forth to our, to our backstage station to, to on set when we're doing something, and it's just constant movement. And it, it, I think, puts energy into it. I mean, the key is the news. The key is that we stay on what the biggest stories are, and we try to provide the right kind of context and information about that. All the bells and whistles only make it better. Yeah, one of the things I find the most interesting about the new show is that the way, you know, CNN daytime used to work and the way other cable news networks work is that each show would have an anchor assigned to the show and they would do their own show. They'd have their own team. They would decide what stories to cover, et cetera. Whereas what this does is across this three hour stretch is that it treats each story like a rolling story with updates and instead of viewers getting the sort of whiplash where you're going from one show to the next with different considerations and perspectives and different ideas on how to cover different stories, it's cohesive. It's almost like a live feed of the news of the day with updates from the same people, which that to me seems like a, a more intuitive way to, of doing daytime news. I, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. I, I think absolutely over the three hour period that we have, uh, my feeling is you, we're telling the viewers, you're like, take, take my hand and we will walk you through this news adventure, this three-hour news adventure, we don't know where it's going to go, um, but we've got some devices that will help explain it to you as, as it's going along. One of the things that when the new show got announced that sort of got hyped in the reporting about it was that the hosts were out of their anchor chairs and standing. How, is this, has the standing posed a particular problem only because I'm an old man, and you know, and, and it, you know, it hurts my lower back. No, look, I, I will tell you. For me, it feels like um, field anchoring, which I've done. You know, I do a ton of, and I love. I love being right. in the field. Uh, and you're standing up for that. You're not sitting at a desk when you're in the field. You're standing outside in the middle of the story. And so, in this show, I'm standing inside in the middle of the story with the story all around me on the walls and everything else. But it feels much more like like field anchoring, or you know, it's um. The first two months of the invasion of when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, I was on a different show then, but I didn't sit down for two months. I sat in front of a magic wall, drawing on a map, had a big video wall behind me. I, I think it's a really uh, active, uh, engaging way to do the news. And, and you know, depending on what the story is, I think it, it adds a sense of urgency. One 
thing, you know, you mentioned your reporting in Russia there. One thing that I've always found impressive about CNN compared to other news networks is that it actually sends anchors over to report on war zones. And I think that's a really admirable way of covering something like the Russian invasion. Last year, you traveled to Ukraine to report on the devastation there. What was that like? Uh, It was striking to be there. I was there a couple weeks uh, after the invasion began, and I was in Lviv. I was there at a time when it was still too dangerous. Kiev, um, it wasn't clear that Kiev wasn't going to fall at that point. We had reporters there. We had a reporter there. Um, it, depending on at the time, it was you know someone like Nick Peyton Walsh or Matthew Chance, uh, you know other people who were there. But to anchor, we had set up in Lviv, which is in the far western part of the country, and was considered much safer. We couldn't get the anchor operation all the way into Kiev at that point. Um, which, you know, is, is a reminder of how dire everyone thought the situation was at the beginning of the invasion. Still, being in Lviv, what I saw, which you can only get a sense of by being there, is the flood. The, there was this flood of humanity. Um, Ukrainians who were g- trying to get out of the country, and they were getting out of the country through Lviv. The other thing you saw it was was wounded people, uh, a, a flood of wounded people. At that point, it's wounded civilians largely in the Lviv hospitals there. Uh, and it, it just it was the stories that people were bringing with them to where we were were extraordinary. And I talked to one boy who was the same. My my sons are sixteen now. Last year when I was there, they were fifteen. This was a fifteen year old boy I spoke to in the hospital who saw his mother die in front of his eyes. And he had his leg shattered. Um, and I had the, the honor of speaking to this courageous young man as he was talking to me about the loss he'd suffered, but also you know, where he was finding hope. And I, it, it broke my heart, but I also felt that it's so important, it was so important, it still is so important to tell the American people what's happening there. So they know, they can see it. You know, for someone like me, when I see that boy, I think of my own sons. And I would think that there are viewers out there who feel the same way. And again, it's not easy to watch, but it's so necessary and a reminder that these the Ukrainian people, the millions of Ukrainians, they didn't ask for this. This is being done to them. This is being brought on them by the Russians. This is a one-way street. Uh, and, and I think that was crucial to tell that story. And one other thing that was just telling, again, we thought we were we were all the way in the western part of the country because we thought that was the safest place to be. Joe Biden, while I was there, Biden was in Warsaw. The president was in Warsaw, speaking in Warsaw. The Russians um, sent missiles, bombed Lviv while I was there. And they hit a, sp- a, a place, a site. It was like a fuel depot. But it was it was directly behind where our, my anchor location was. My live shot was you have you know I can never know for sure, but I have to believe the Russians intentionally hit somewhere where they knew there would be smoke rising behind the CNN live shot because you know look I mean everyone's in, involved in a different propaganda game. The Russians certainly are too. I think they wanted the smoke rising in the CNN live shot while President Biden was speaking over the border uh, in Warsaw. And it's just a reminder again that even though Lviv was a relatively safe place, there's no purely safe place there. You make a great point. It's like one of the few wars in modern history where there's no 
other side. Russia invaded its neighbor for no reason and is now in the process of flattening that neighbor. And there's no excuse for it. And and that's evidenced by the fact that they've invented this farcical denazification excuse for the invasion. Having seen the destruction and the horrors of, of the results of that war, when you came back to America and you see the way some American media figures are covering it, like Tucker Carlson, who used to be at Fox News, did that make you angrier having seen it up close and then seeing the way it's being covered in, in the States? Or, um, You know, the, to me, having been there, it was clear. I mean, other people are going to say what they're going to say. I, I, will, I will only note, again, that this was being, this is being done to the Ukrainians. I, it's almost hard for someone uh, of my age, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time in Iraq back in, you know, in, the, in the 2000s, um, this just feels different. This feels to me what it must have felt like back, you know, World War II era, where countries just rolled over their borders and tried to occupy other countries. It, it's just, it just felt different and weird. And I, I guess I don't understand how you, how you really could both sides this conflict. Right. You went, you covered Iraq back in the early 2000s. Do you yeah. still get nervous traveling to war zones? <laughs> I always get nervous. I think there are two <laughs> kinds of people who go to war zones, and both, I think, can be good conflict reporters. I think, you know, one type is, you know, are the, the, the people who get, you know, the surge of adrenaline and want to run toward the explosions, and, you know, they're go, 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 thrill seeker threes, and they can be terrific conflict reporters. And then there are the people who get scared by explosions and things on fire and getting shot at. That's me. Like, I'm perfectly willing to be scared by it. But that's okay, too, because I think that's a very human response. Um, You know, I I think that the tough is, I also say that when I go to a war zone, the hard decision is the decision to go. But once you've decided to go, you're there. uh, And your job is to cover the story as as much as you can safely, you know, safely cover it for you and your team. And there are other people who are often depending on your decisions to do them responsibly. But once you decide to go, you're in um, and, and you got to cover it and, and show people as much as you possibly can. I feel like newsrooms are spending less and less money in having reporters on the ground to cover these kinds of conflicts. How important do you think that is for at least the major news networks to be spending money to actually have people on the ground there covering it? It's invaluable. It's irreplaceable. I mean, every word you can possibly imagine there um, to be to be there to see the suffering, to see the damage that's done, uh, and, and to tell the stories. And yes, it's expensive. In some ways, it's easier than it ever used to be. Also, I mean, you can you can broadcast from a cell phone, um, whereas you know back when I was in, in actually Iraq was revolutionary. I mean, for, there we were using technology where we were broadcasting from laptops and these devices, but they were you know, big suitcases, you know, 10 years before that, you needed a giant satellite dish. Now you need a cell phone. Right. But when you go over with CNN, you have like a whole crew, I imagine, right? I'm kind of a big deal. No, I uh, no. The answer, <laughs> the, answer, the answer is, yeah, of course. There's a, when you're, right. there was this, by the time I got there, um, there was a, an unbelievably professional setup uh, right. in Lviv. And in, a CNN is, um, does this type of operation it fills you with pride to be part of it because of the logistics that they set up and the mountains they move to get the stories out. Um, 
And I, I think people everywhere around the world in conflict zones and disaster zones, they recognize how hard CNN works and how necessary CNN is in moments like that. It's easy to forget, especially when comparing it to other cable news networks, the sprawl of CNN yeah. across continents. It's like, it's a real, it's a serious international reporting organization. And so that means that when you do have one of these conflicts break out abroad, you know, CNN's in a great position to cover it. I want to talk about CNN sort of changes at the network. One of the many changes that Chris Licht, uh, your new boss at CNN, has implemented over his, his first year. You are one of the anchors that I think his vision of a quieter, more reporting-focused CNN really suits. Are you optimistic about the direction that CNN is going in? There's there's some detractors to it. People have pointed to the ratings not being great. But are, are you optimistic about CNN? I think CNN is, it's hard to imagine another place I would want to be right now in this news environment. Um, When I say hard to, it's impossible to imagine a place I'd rather be in this news environment. Everything is so, everything is changing so much. Everything is in such flux and there's such upheaval. But the one thing that doesn't change is there is news and there will always be news. And when there's news, CNN is, is, you know, that's who you want telling you the news. That's who you want there in the war zone, in the hurricane zone, uh, you know, in the disaster zone. I mean, it's, there will always be news. I mean, when I started in the business in 1995, applying for desk assistant jobs, I remember people telling me that the, you know, the industry was dying. And I'm not joking. I remember the people (laughs) saying, oh, you don't want to get into this. This is, that was 1995. Um, You know, so people have been declaring the end of the news business for, for decades now. There will always be news. People will always need to report on it and always need to tell the stories. Um, given that, I think CNN is, is, is the best positioned to ride out this period of tumult that absolutely is in the industry right now. Right. I want to talk about the CNN town hall last week with former President Donald Trump. There has been some criticism outside of CNN, some internally. What's your take on the town hall? debate. I assume you watched it live and and have some some thoughts on how it went down. My opinion beforehand uh, was that, look, um, news organizations should always want to speak to newsmakers um, and and ask them hard questions. Um, That's what we do. I mean, that that so so I think that a lot of the, so that in and of itself to me wasn't controversial. Um, after the fact, I have the luxury, you know, and then I watched it. And then as I was watching it, I, I'm in a little bit of a different position than everyone else. I have the luxury of needing to figure out what I then have to do with this later on, right? Um, right. You know, how is this going to affect my news life the next day? And so I was very much watching it along the lines of, you know, where's the news here? And there was a, there was a bunch of news there. Right. And in fact, today, um, which is, what was today? I mean, today's a full week later almost later, uh, right. fr- from the town hall. And on, on our show on CNN News Central, the flagship, um, we were still covering things that were connected to this town hall and only would have happened because of the town hall. You know, Trump saying that, or basically indicating he was okay with a debt default, I think absolutely has reshaped the way people Republicans and Democrats have talked 
uh, about the debt ceiling negotiations. I think it, Kevin McCarthy started using language um, to try to, to push that back on Biden a little bit. So he didn't feel like he was the one asking for a default. Um, he's like, oh, no, it seems like Biden wants a default. He was saying this yesterday. And to me, that felt like he might be saying that because he didn't want to bear the mantle of Trump saying that a default was OK. Number one. Number two, you know, Ron DeSantis. And we're watching, you know, a full week in. Um, and Semaphore had terrific reporting today on the DeSantis world having second thoughts about how DeSantis world reacted to Trump in the CNN town hall. Um, and, and so, again, it's, it's now in some ways it set the agenda um, for a bunch of different things that are ha- Ukraine. I mean, talk about Ukraine right now. I, I, I absolutely think Zelensky knows exactly what was said at that town hall, knew exactly the promises that Trump was not willing to make uh, about what would happen if, if he was elected president. And I think it absolutely is affecting um, Zelensky's decisions on the war uh, in his country and also as he travels around Europe. So I, I, think, I think there was absolutely news made and it has had an impact. You make a great point there about Zelensky. Like Donald Trump is likely to be the Republican nominee for president. He's very possibly the next president of the United States. Not interviewing him doesn't seem, certainly doesn't seem like the way to handle him, though I get that people sort of have PTSD from the 2016 campaign. Obviously, at some points, the the live audience got, you know, Caitlin Collins would fact check Trump and they'd still cheer for Trump and it, it, it made it a little bit uncomfortable. But I think there is something to the argument that Chris Licht, CEO of CNN, made that this is who Trump is. This is what a lot of his voters are. And it actually served as a good reminder to people, including some Republicans, of what his behavior is like and where he stands on certain issues. There were so many questions before the town hall. If you listen to the analysis on this network and others, you know, how would Trump behave? Would he use this as an opportunity to reach out to new voters um, and try to appeal to undecideds? And I think people saw, saw for themselves in a way that you don't see when he phones in to, I mean, I guess he's not really phoning into Fox anymore. Who knows? But, but you know, when he phones in to, a, to an interview or at a rally, it's just a different, more revealing um, forum to learn about someone who could be the Republican nominee. Have you started thinking of how you're going to cover Trump going forward, looking forward to the 2024 campaign? Because to a certain extent, uh, a lot of people have a point that Trump is a categorically different political figure than any other. I mean, his first term ended with a deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol. So I think there is an argument that he should be treated differently than just your average former president. Are you trying to figure out ways to cover Trump and his movement, perhaps in a different way than you would have covered him in 2016? Or is it covering him in the same objective way you would cover any sort of candidate? Is there a difference there? The answer with Trump is, I think, that any anyone who claims that they have figured out the right way to do it is, is not lying. But they're, they're, everyone's trying to figure it out every day. Um, right. And we have been in different ways for six years now. Um, I don't know that there's a perfect answer to this, except to try your hardest to put things in context, to... Um, and analyze and correct the record when he says, or when any candidate says things that aren't true. And then to figure out the right 
way to decide how much of it do you show and how much of it do you not show. And that's the hardest decision. And you, I think making sweeping decisions saying we're never going to do this or we're always going to do this, it's, it's imp- you never know. It's just, you, you, just, you just don't know. It's just impossible. Right, right. It was a pretty insane last month in the cable news industry. Just looking at Fox News, we had the Dominion lawsuit that Fox settled for nearly a billion dollars. Then the network fires Tucker Carlson, its, its most popular host. As an esteemed member of the cable news host class yourself, what did you make of that settlement and the Tucker ouster? Uh, so t- I, I, I sort of separated them, even though I know they all happened all at once. The, the Dominion right. settlement as a, I guess as a news consumer, but also as, as someone who's you know, covered uh, defamation cases and knows a lot of lawyers, I, I always believed it was going to settle. And I'm not just saying that now because I was, I was proven right. <laughs> um, but it just, I just couldn't imagine um, a company risking it. Um, and by then, I mean Dominion. I mean, you know, if, if you've got that much money on the table, I mean, they almost got everything they wanted. Mm. And what more could they get? It's not their, you know, I, 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 look, I would, have lo- I would have loved, as everyone in the news business or journalist or in the public, we all want as much information as we can possibly get. So I would have loved a trial where people testify under oath so we could learn all these things. But put yourself, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the heads and the bodies of the people at Dominion, where this company's not worth, you know, a fraction of, of that amount. And all of a sudden, they get to, you know, septuple their overall earnings if you're the private equity firm that's in there. And you don't, you, if you go to trial, you don't know you're going to win anything, anything. Right. You could, and could lose. lose it all in appeal. And, yeah, exactly. They could win and then they could lose it in an appeal. It could all get cut down. This is, this is a check and there's a giant check and there's so much that came out in discovery and the depositions. I absolutely understand why they took the deal, even if I don't, you know, even if it may have been disappointing as a news consumer. And to me, it felt very much like, and I've read, I've read all the same reporting and CNN's reporting on this too, you know, it felt very much like as you went into the weekend, Fox basically just said, whatever, whatever the price. I mean, here's the checkbook. Right. You know, you keep, you, you get to the point where they say, yes, whatever, whatever it takes. The money, the amount of money they ultimately paid was basically infinity. They basically paid infinity <laughs> to, to settle the case. Yeah, I mean, I was in the courtroom in Delaware, and I was disappointed that we didn't get a trial out of this because I think that would have been a, yes. a, a fascinating. But at the same time, you know, there were all these complaints about how Dominion didn't extract any accountability from Fox News. But one, they almost got a billion dollars. Yes, they got almost a billion dollars. And two, all that came out in discovery—that was a lot of accountability. Oh my god! And they weren't going to get that much more from a trial. So I actually, you know, I don't think it was—it was a you know a particular loss from for Dominion. I think that was a negative way of looking at it. No, and, and you bring, you brought up Tucker Carlson, where yeah, the discovery and whatnot didn't have much to do with his view on Dominion and if whether he defamed anyone in that case. But boy, they seem to learn enough <laughs> inside that discovery yep. that they uh, that they decided to break up. Um, yeah. Fox and, and Tucker Carlson. You you never you've never worked with Tucker Carlson, right? Because you guys didn't overlap at no, CNN. He was no, at CNN. No. A full, like, I was I was at ABC, you. which I guess ABC is one of the companies he was never fired from. <laughs> yeah, which one, is, which is a few. bad joke. I, I but it was it was low it was low hanging fruit. So no, I low never. Yeah, no, he was gone from CNN by the time I got there. 
looks like he's taking his show to Twitter now. Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to ask you about Twitter because you're one of my favorite follows. Are you using Twitter more or less under the Elon Musk regime? Um, Maybe slightly less, but only because it's more confusing. I just don't. It It is. get jumbled up. I mean, I always, my Twitter use is is fairly specific, which is that I, I love to follow journalists and the sports fee. I, I, I'm on Twitter to follow reporters who I, who I want to hear from in real time, um, you know, public figures, organizations that used to publish in real time. And so that, and, and then sports, I mean, just sports stuff, you know, it's great right. on Twitter. You know, I, I used to be able to see, you know, the Chelsea starting lineup goes out one hour before the game. I see Pulisic not starting. I swear I move on, you know, but that, <laughs> that's what I use Twitter for. Um, and then what I publish on Twitter, I sort of made a decision at the beginning on Twitter, like, uh, you know, I may get fired one day, but it's not going to be because of Twitter. So, so the things that I post on Twitter, you know, it's like dad jokes. I mean, basically, my <laughs> Twitter feed is stupid dad jokes, and then clips, for, and then clips from the show. The, the show right. I want to get if I want to get out there, but but nothing else. So it hasn't, you know, and I don't, I don't have to make any moral judgment about whether I use it or not um, to use it the way that that I use it. Does that make sense? Right. Um, so yes, but I maybe, but but I've used it maybe slightly less because it's harder to find the people I want to find, and I don't understand this check mark, that check mark. It's a giant you, mess. I can't think of anything more humiliating than losing your job over Twitter. So that's a good policy. I might, I might implement that. No, yeah, no. It's like I said, like, it's not how I want to go. It's like that, <laughs> yeah. an expense reports. Like I'm not going to yeah. try to like. There's absolutely. I am so careful with expense reports and Twitter. Yeah. No fudging. I'm there. not going to get fired. Smart, maybe the only smart. two, but there too. If Twitter you're using a little bit less because it's harder to find news on, which I agree with, where are you getting your news? Where does John Berman get his news, aside from CNN, of course? CNN, 24 hours a day. I have a constant feed of CNN Naturally. in front of my face. No, look, I, um, I'm not afraid to say it. Look, I, so I follow, the reporters I follow, I follow all the best political reporters in the world and financial reporters, everything else that I need to know. I follow them on Twitter, and, and sometimes that's the first time I see their stuff. But I have a ritual that I've had for years um um in in this business especially since i've been at cnn when i've always had some version of a morning-ish show where before i go to bed i you know i read online whatever you know the 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 new york times the washington post the wall street journal um they're you know not cover to cover but but i will try to consume all the important stuff when I go to bed and then when I wake up in the morning. It's like when I used to, when I used to go to school, when I used to be an alleged student, I had in my head that, you know, if the last thing I see when I go to bed is the first thing I see when I wake up, I'll do better on the test. And so yep. I do, that's how I've treated the news business. So those three papers, you know, and then, you know, I check out Politico and now all these great newsletters between Axios and Punchbowl and Semaphore. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave someone out, but, but those, uh, those come out in the morning. So I see those, um, you know, consume those. And then, and then the other outlets I get through social media and it's just out right. there, out there in the ether. So that's, you know, there's a lot of news consumption for me. Um, I, I would say like after seven thirty at night and then before six in the morning. Do you watch other cable news networks? No. Smart. My last question and this is a weird question, but I just thought of it, and I actually really want to know. You can take one cable news host from another network out for a drink. Who is it, and where are you taking them? Oh, cable, cable news host. Drink? 
in where I'm taking them. I mean, the, first of all, how many? There really only other two cable news. Wait, well, how many cable news outlets are we counting here? Uh, we can count Newsmax and OAN, but I, okay, I suspect that, you're going to pick yeah. someone from Fox or MSNBC. Well, no, I, I can't, that you know, this is a, that it, it's. I'm not going to lie; it's a good question, but huh. I'm not going to end up with a satisfying answer unless I think. Oh, you know, um, well, Ana Cabrera who is a friend okay. and a competitor. Right. I, I, I would take her out. Sort of a cheat because she I'm just not, left I'm, CNN. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to gonna even count that, but I'm going to say I'd like right. to you know, take her out anywhere just because it'd be fun <laughs> to say hi and hang out because I miss her. Okay? Yeah. Um, you know, I guess Ari Melber uh, mm. is somebody who I think is, um, I think he goes into his uh, interviews with, with a ton of information uh, and, a, and a strong basis of information. And um, I, I've seen some interviews of his online after the fact uh, where I'm like, oh, I like I like the way that he did that. Or I was impressed with the amount of information that he had going. I, I don't think I've ever spoken to him <laughs> in person. Um, I'm sure if we saw each other, we pretend like we're news friends. Like, hey, how's it going? But no, I don't think that we've ever actually met. Though I, I'm, I would pretend like I knew him so that um, he'd be impressed. Um, so yeah, I, I think he does... I think he does a nice uh, a nice job based on again some of the stuff that I've seen. Also, he's a lawyer, right? I'm always I've, I sort of have this mm. you know decades old um, longing. I wish I had a law degree. I had deferred from law school. Um, oh, really? I got in and then and, and then decided to go be a desk assistant at ABC at age you know <laughs> out of college, and then kept deferring. Um, I, I thought I'd be there for one year as a desk assistant and then go to law school. And then I liked it so much. I stayed for a second year and I deferred again. And after the third year that I wanted to defer, the law school came back to me and said, um, we, we don't think you're coming. We're not going to, I don't, we're not going to let you defer. Are, are you going to come? And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not coming. So lawyers always, I, I kind of, I kind of always a little bit envious of, uh, of people like that. Got it. Ari Melber, John Berman. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It was great to speak with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And check out coverage of my conversation with John Berman on Mediaite.com.